0: build the portfolio of tomorrow today with alternative investments previously reserved for only the top 1%. Street's cutting-edge investment products are designed to grow your wealth, bringing you one step closer to the financial independence you crave. With minimums at just $500 and access to investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more, the future of alternative investing is now with Street. Visit Yieldstreet.com to get started. That's Yieldstreet.com. This is the Cubs Related Podcast, presented by CubsInsider.com. You're hearing my voice. That means Corey is not with me today. I've traded Corey for Greg Huss of the Growing Cubs Podcast. Maybe this will be a more consistent thing, Greg. We'll we'll see. Don't, don't tell Corey. <laughs> we may actually need you uh, the way they've been playing lately. So uh, we have a really, really good episode today. So Greg and I talked off-air about uh, a lot of these prospects and... I'm excited to go into detail about some of these guys that came back in the core trio of trades—the Craig Kimbrel trade, the Chafin trade—and also touch on some of the more recent highlights in this Cub system. So that will be the the outline of today's podcast. And just as a preference, like, like none of us wanted these trades to happen, <laughs> right? So I'm not—we're not out here saying, "Oh, we're excited about the about these trades." Um, You know, seeing Rizzo in a Yankee uniform hitting home runs and Baez doing those trademark slides physically makes me ill. Um, But here we are. This is our reality. We do have some talented prospects in the Cubs system. At least today, Greg, I was seeing that uh, some rate the system as top eight in baseball. I know some of the opinions vary from person to person, but we have just a, a huge bunch of new players. So much more talent, a lot of young talent that I think should pique everyone's interest at least.
1: I'm glad you brought up the fact that um, we're Cubs fans, right? I, I know I'm coming on this on this uh, podcast here, and I'm the the prospect guy from the Growing Cubs podcast. But I mean, that doesn't take away from the fact that I'm a, I'm a Cubs fan first and foremost. So to see a guy like Anthony Rizzo or Javier Baez or Chris Bryant traded, like I don't find joy. In, yeah, I don't find joy in that. I I have been studying these prospects that we got and I'm doing uh, it's kind of my time to shine as far as the prospects go it I'm is take advantage of it but uh, <laughs> just because I'm taking advantage of it doesn't mean I appreciate the fact that uh, three of my favorite players were traded you know
0: yeah I mean it, it it sucks but you know it is a moment in time and I think it might be a good distraction at the current moment just to go over these guys and we have a, a season these remaining two months to talk about you know the implications of these trades beyond just the prospects and express displeasure or whatnot, because we are Cubs fans and you're a Cubs fan too, despite you covering uh, the system. But in this current moment, I think we have to talk about these prospects. We have to talk about what these trades mean in the current moment, because if we listen to Jed Hoyer and we've watched the remaining two months, there is really not a clear plan right now. We acquired a lot of talent, but there's a lot of things that can go and influence what the Cubs do In this offseason, including some of the development of these prospects and some of the guys that we've seen come over in these trades, like the Chafin deal and uh, the Dykeman uh, acquisition, for example. So we need to talk about these guys. They are exciting in their own ways. And so let's just get into it. So, Greg, I want to first start with the most painful trade. I think it's only fair. Rizzo. Rizzo dealt to the Yankees and he brings back two very interesting prospects. Um, Interesting because if I go on the Fangraph Scout board and look at their top-ranked prospects, I'm surprised because currently, Rizzo, that deal got back the best package compared to Kimbrel. I know it's not prospects with Madrigal and Hoyer, but they got back the best prospect package. More than Bryant, more than Baez bringing back uh, Peter Crow Armstrong. So they're able to net Alexander Vizcaino, a 24-year-old starting pitcher who's currently in high able. And they're also able to get back an outfielder who's 19 years old named Kevin Alcantara, who apparently has tools off the charts and kind of is in that same class as like Reggie Preciato mm-hmm. for example. So I'm curious, starting with Rizzo, and let's, let's narrow down into Alcantara because I think he's the most toolsy player in my opinion, which is bad at this point, but from what I've read, he's the most toolsy player that any of the Cubs core got back in the trade.
1: Yeah, and I'll actually before I get into this, I'll lead off by saying that I'd actually argue argue you on on uh, the best package back. I think that the the, the right. consensus on Twitter and on from a lot of experts is that the the Rizzo deal is the best deal back. Uh, yep. I, I think the Chris Bryant trade, I think that the oh, guys okay, we got I back like in the that. Chris Bryant trade are uh, terrific. But we will go into the Anthony Rizzo trade here. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Alcantara. Um, he is, you comparing him to Reggie Preciado is perfect. Yep. because Well, uh, I stole that from you yeah, off there, yeah, so I'm not going to <laughs> go. take credit for that. No, no wonder <laughs> I called it perfect. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that, that uh, Alcantara, I mean, the way he profiles, right? He's a 19-year-old kid. He's down in the Arizona Complex League, the ACL, which I, I hate that they're calling it the ACL now. I know, Because man. that... The knee, the knee. I know. It, every time I see it mentioned, I think that like someone did something really horrible to their knee, but... Uh, I know. Yeah, so I, I think that the, with Alcantara, you're looking at a guy that is... Uh, he's six foot six. He is a buck 90. He's a really skinny, tall, lanky guy. And that that in itself reminds me a lot of Reggie Preciato, who we got back in the U Darvish tra- trade. The, the difference obviously being that... Uh, Alcantara is an outfielder preciato right now is an infielder maybe potentially an outfielder uh, uh, mm. down the road right but uh, Alcantara is an outfielder he's a center fielder he's got a, a really decent amount of speed for considering his size I assume he's going to fill out and that speed will not always be there with with Alcantara but he's got big time power potential more so than what preciato has uh, the tools mm. are you're dreaming on the tools with Kevin Alcantara and i I can see why you are because that that swing is is super, super pretty from from right. a guy that's this young and uh this tall and lanky.
0: Well, Fangrass rates him right now as the number two prospect in the club system. So that that's surprising to me. And I think you can kind of flip uh, or throw in any name into a hat, draw it out and pick like the number like two through six guys at this point. But it's just surprising to see him rank above like Christian Hernandez at this point, who was the Cubs' top international free agent signing at shortstop. And even like Preciado, who we've heard a lot about since the Yu Darvish trade. So I'm looking at Alcantara, and you talk about his power, his speed, the center field potential, maybe the speed does not translate as he ages but is his power like his hallmark trait or is he more of like the quote unquote five
1: tool player i think it's the fact that you have all these different tools with him. i think that's that's what you, you the big takeaway with alcantara uh the obviously the power is something you dream about but um with a guy that's this raw of a prospect and a guy that I mean, I know Cubs fans don't want to hear it, but it's like it's like a 2025-type timeline with a guy like this. We don't want to hear that. Yeah. I, I know. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. But with a guy like that, then I feel like you can't hone in on one tool okay. right now. It's too early for that. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, can appreciate the power, that. right? You can appreciate that the power might come, but you see the athleticism, you see the size, and yep. you just hope for a lot of different tools from it.
0: So is there from day one, and it's hard to get a feel for it just because he is playing against young competition in the Arizona Complex League. But is there one immediate area of improvement that Alcantara needs to take strides in? Is it contact rate? Is it plate discipline? Or is this more of like a weight and feel thing to see what he looks like with more advanced competition?
1: I don't think it's a weight and feel. I think it's a weight and size thing. I think he needs <laughs> to. Weight uh, and size thing. I yeah. like that. I think I like that. that. He needs to just put on some weight. I mean, some muscle okay. and and some, obviously some good weight and good muscle, but. Uh, he's a young kid, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. w- when you're getting these 19 year old kids and whether they're international free agent signings or they are uh, draft picks from high school, it's just you just got to put on some good muscle. And that's when that's what's great about this, this Cubs uh, development team um, that they are they've been really good about working these guys and getting them into good baseball shape, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that that's what that's the next step for for Alcantara before you see him in in low a ball in Myrtle Beach.
0: Okay, got it. Well, I mean, I'm excited about that. I think the fact that he has so many tools, you know, hopefully one of those becomes a staple in this game. Yes. But start up as like a 19-year-old that, that's fast and powerful and quick twitchy, that's that's that, that's what you want. Yeah. So on the other hand, in this deal, we get back an older prospect, 24 years old again, his name Alexander Vizcayeno. Currently, he is a starting pitcher in high A ball. He's barely pitched. So I this is my first reaction, right? You're gonna dig into him way more than I am. But my first reaction is wow, he's twenty-four and he's not in double A yet. Like what, what what's going on there?
1: And he's on the forty man roster already. So So
0: what's going on yeah. there? Greg? So
1: it, it's he has I mean, obviously I feel like an important thing to point out with all these trades is that you are looking at you can't you can't look at prospects in the same way that you have in the past. Uh, they missed an entire year of development in 2020. There were no minor league baseball games at all. Mm. So any guy that's 24 years old, like he's he's 23 in in high eight ball. Now that's not a whole lot better. I'm not I'm not trying to like justify <laughs> it in that way, but it's just it's different. Like 24, seeing like mid 20s makes a big difference compared to like younger 20s in in, okay. in baseball minor league levels. You know what I mean? So yeah. having that missed season, I mean, when you're seeing like Greg Dykeman, we'll get into later. Like he's he's 26 years old and he's still a prospect, and that's kind of like wow um so it's, right. it's just different right now uh he this guy knows dealt with some injuries um he got got him a late start this year i think this guy is more of a double a guy right now i think they were kind of using the high a level to kind of ease him back into things the yankees were and okay. i think he's more of a guy that's ready for double a based off the stuff that he has he he's another guy that could really use the uh the gym i think i think that he is uh he's a tall lanky guy i think he's only six foot two but he's pretty lanky too and uh i really like alexander viscaino quite a bit i think that he has potential to be a starting pitcher right now he's being used uh, in his first outing with south bend he was used out of the bullpen so uh he's labeled now, a starting is, that pitcher. In, is that
0: in his future does he do you think the cubs stick with him in the bullpen to promote like a more rapid timeline or do you see, see him sticking in the starting rotation
1: i i view him as Justin Steele that's how I'm like picturing him right like I, I don't know that I don't know that he's going to be the uh the the top prospect that we're seeing in Justin Steele right now but that that development path of Justin Steele because if you think back Justin Steele was added to the 40-man roster back when he hadn't been above high a ball either he was and he
0: dealt with injuries as well exactly
1: right? he dealt with a lot okay. of injuries and then he was worked as a starting pitcher basically until this year right was he, he worked as a starting mm-hmm. pitcher in the minor leagues and then once he was ready to get the call and, he, and his options were about up, right? I think Justin Steele only has one more option year left. Yeah. And once his option years were coming to a close, then they're like, all right, let's give him a chance in the bullpen in Chicago. You know what I mean? And now yeah. he's being transformed back to a starting pitcher down in Iowa. Uh, I kind of see that, that timeline, that development path with Vizcaino uh, to be pretty similar, where you're going to work him as a starter potentially, through the minor leagues. He gets to the major leagues. He has a really good two-pitch mix. He has a fastball that can that can sit in the high 90s and a changeup that is... Uh, this guy knows changeup is no joke, dude. Like, it is no joke. It, like, I
0: saw on fan they rate it right now as a 70, like, potential 70 it, on, on the 80 scale. That's insane.
1: It drops off the table. It is a re- really? It is... I think it is the best pitch that was acquired at this deadline for what really? that's worth. It, it is okay. It is tremendous. I, and, and that two-pitch mix could make him work in the pin. They tried the Yankees tried at the alt site last year to work in a, a slider a little bit better. Um, they okay. actually tinkered with his delivery in order to try to improve that slider and make him a. Three in, pitch in what in pitcher. what way do you know? I don't know how they tinkered with, but okay. it was kind of it kind of stood out to me a little bit just because you don't typically see a guy changing his delivery to improve a pitch. You change like the grips, you change the way mm-hmm. in which it's thrown. So that kind of that kind of stuck out, stuck out to me a little bit, but. Um, if he's a three-pitch pitcher, then he can be a starter, right? If he's not, then yeah. he has a really good two-pitch mix that can work in the bullpen.
0: Yeah, it sounds like with him, they want to have a more, uh, I guess, horizontal breaking pitch the other way from mm-hmm. his changeup, up right? Yeah. And I, I, we got to talk about Justin Steele real quickly before we move on here, yeah. because he is on the forefront, I think, of a lot of Cubs fans' minds, especially my mind. Steele, like, he, I, I feel as if all of a sudden the is up. Am I wrong about that? Like, as he's going through this stretching out period in, in AAA, and I know when he was with the Cubs coming out of the bullpen, you know, he was throwing a pretty heavy four-seam slider mix, about 30% sliders and 45% four-seams, and then finishing off with uh, actually 20% sinkers, so he was basically just like a two-seam, four-seam slider guy, and then he he showed a change up or a curveball every, every now and then, mm-hmm. so I'm wondering with this velo, it looks like he's able to maintain like mid-90s out of the rotation. And from a starting pitching point of view, is he capable of throwing more than just one secondary pitch to get through the order multiple times? To me, that's like the main concern right now, is does he have more than one secondary pitch? That way, second time through, you know, if he's lucky third time through, he can get through it. And then separately from that, I see the numbers, I'm a little, I'm, a, I'm curious about that command and that mm-hmm. ability to limit the walks, his walk rate right now is above 4 in AAA, Um again, you know, this is a weird time, he's being stretched out, forced to do things that are new, so that he can get back to the bigs, but talking about Steel and how they're using him, how they might implement Vizcaino you know, on the same same resume... Like, what are we looking at here from Steele? Is he going to be a four-pitch guy, still a three-pitch pitch guy? Is that VLO going to sustain itself? Is the command an What are you thinking here?
1: I'll lead off with the with the fastball, and that okay. is a pitch that, yeah, he's maintaining that mid-90s fastball throughout his starts. Now, he's still not getting up to, like, 100 pitches. That's not happening in his starts yet. Mm. But um, maintaining it through about 70 pitches or so, 60 to 70 pitches, he's still sitting 94, 95 with the, with the heater. So, uh, that's looking really good. I actually spoke to Justin Steele uh, when Iowa came over here, my neck of the woods in Columbus, uh, to to play a, a series. And I got to interview nice. him. I'm going to have a, a post over at Cubs Insider with uh, that interview with Justin Steele coming up here fairly soon. But uh, when I interviewed Justin Steele, I was asking him because what he did coming up through the minors is he had the fastball, and then his his go-to secondary pitch was the curveball. And then he learned. Now it's reversed. Exactly. He learned the the slider from uh, when he was at the alt site. Actually, uh, some coaches recommended throwing throwing the slider, and his his uh, older brother, I believe, threw this grip on his slider uh, when he was growing up. And so Justin Steele just kind of took his brother's his older brother's grip, and he's been using that, and <laughs> really? it worked out really well. Obviously, because we saw him be like you said, a fastball slider pitcher in the major leagues out of the bullpen. So I asked yeah. him I was like so what how does this correlate to you going back to the rotation and he told me that he even working out of the bullpen in Chicago he was still constantly working on that curveball and his changeup a little bit um changeup okay so, in, so according bullpen, to yes.
0: according to baseball savant he has not thrown one changeup this <laughs> year and so we we we're, we're talking about like getting through the aura multiple times with Alzolai his his issue right now is against lefties, right? That's been prohibiting him from getting through the order multiple times. And so for me, I was thinking, all right, maybe he starts throwing more change ups. Remember mm-hmm. in Alzolite's debut, he was showing that change up, like that got a lot of people's atten- uh, attention. Yeah. And so with Alzolite, we didn't really see that starting like around July. We saw more. We saw cutters actually. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, the changeup stands out to me because I, I was kind of hoping that he would have a, a pitch that goes the other way from his curveball and slider. So he's working on a changeup to complement his slider and now maybe we might see more curves is what you're saying? Yeah, he's
1: been using the curveball a little bit more in games down in Iowa. Hmm. Uh, he's been okay. using the curve. So he's been using the fastball, curveball, slider combination pretty good. The changeup is not, he even told me he's only using the changeup uh, about, I think he said four or five times per game. So he's not throwing okay. that a ton. But also, he's only throwing seventy pitches, so um, right. which he, is like not not that insignificant, right? Like five five times out of like seventy pitches, that's not that's not insignificant. It, he kind of said he's just using it when he feels like he needs to. There's no yeah. situation that dictates it, but he's just kind of using it when he feels like he needs to. And it's like he's Hendricks with on. his curveball, like a few yes. years ago, he
0: just shows that curveball. Yeah. yeah,
1: and the fact that he's even still working on that in his side sessions is uh, good to hear for his for his development as a starting pitcher.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at some of the horizontal movement. It's wild to hear that his brother kind of prompted him to start throwing better sliders with that grip. But according to Statcast data, his horizontal movement on his slider has more break than a hundred percent of sliders. <laughs> so, like the average. I mean, it's it's insane in a in a weird way. Who knows what happens if no COVID happened? But like, we're hearing. Alzalai, who developed his sinker and slider in the alternative site, where we're now we're hearing steel do the same thing, and hopefully, and actually, if we have time, I do want to get into this, um maybe for a different episode. But like like Bradley Marquez was developing a sinker or more of a fastball that goes the other way from his four seam uh, in the alternative site. So it's mm-hmm. it's crazy to see how quick. That these Cubs developmental guys, like Craig Breslow, and I'm sure Tommy hotavi has a role in it. How fast they pick up these pitches, and immediately they're already better from a movement perspective than way more of the league. It's it's wild to to see that. So it's like that's that's interesting. Like Steele yeah. may have five pitches to pick from, but it sounds as if right now still that
1: slider and curveball is, is is dominant options. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it's one of those things. I mean, these these dudes are just freak athletes. You know. I mean that, that are, that's. Man they they're insane and the way they take to some of these th- some of this instruction is it honestly goes to show how important it is to draft the right guys and acquire the right guys that can take to this coaching well. And Justin Steele mm-hmm. is absolutely one of those guys that takes the coaching super well and just kind of is willing to try anything in order to make his career work in the best uh, in the best ways. That's what that's what
0: you want. You want that mindset similar to what we're seeing with Alisali who's just open and willing to try more things. Yeah. But let's move, let's move on here. I want to get through all these players. We can talk about these guys for an hour each, I feel like. Uh, the Chris Bryant deal. You think that this was the best package coming back from all the trades. So I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on these two guys. So they got Alexander Canario. You know, my pronunciation with some of these guys are terrible. And all the A's in these guys' names, like Alexander, Alexander, Alcantara, it messes with my brain. I,
1: so. I was bragging uh, a little bit that I got through our entire Growing Cubs podcast uh, without mixing up Anderson Espinosa, alexander it's canario and down. alexander viscaino and i don't know that I, I haven't gone back and listened to double check but i think i made it through without mixing them up which some sort of award for for that because yeah there's a lot of a yeah, a lot of a it's
0: killing me i'm terrible <laughs> with this so alexander canario 21-year-old outfielder in Able. Right now, he's a 337 weighted on base average, but that's being carried by nine homers in 274 plate appearances. He has a 29% strikeout rate. He has a 12% walk rate. Walks are good. Strikeouts might be a little bit too much. But I think in addition to Canario, why you like this trade so much is that they got back Caleb Killian. And uh, Greg, his numbers are <laughs> stupid. wild. Yeah. Uh, stupid. Uh, he has a walk per nine rate in Double A of 1.14. He has a K per nine over nine. This is like what you see from the aces in the bigs, dude. Like that type of ratio. Yeah. So he has a 2.43 year ERA, a 2.39 FIP. Who even cares at that point when you see strikeout rates like that and walk rates like that? So uh, what's going on with Killian? Why is he not higher on prospect leaderboards? And why are we really not hearing that much of him? And we see on Fangrass, like the Rizzo package, and as you said, that package is being deemed as the best one in return, but you see Killian, you see Canario, and their numbers are pretty good too.
1: Yeah, I mean, Caleb Killian, it's well, it's one of those things where, I mean, I, I do the, uh, the top prospect list, list for Cubs Insider, and... I'm here to tell you that any prospect list that was done before this season was just a crapshoot because it was just, we didn't know what was go- going on during this last COVID season, you know, lack of season, you know? And so I was relying yeah. on uh, word of mouth from a lot of these players, from watching Instagram videos of Cole Franklin throw <laughs> bullpens. Like, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, the, I know some, some, uh, of the Fangraphs graph, fan experts and the, the Jim Callis and, and, and Jonathan Mayos of the world, like they were talking to scouts. But they were also talking to a lot of the scouts of the teams. Like They weren't getting like co- like competition scouts out there. You know what I mean? Like They were talking to the Cubs yeah, scouts yeah, yeah. about the Cubs players. And so it was just that the, the prospect ranking season before the year, wild. So that's why you get a guy like Caleb Killian, who was at the very back end of a lot of top 30s for the San Francisco Giants, but now has come yeah. out and just dominate and and it's no I mean it's a surprise that he's dominating but obviously he put in a lot of work during that offseason. He is the guy to me that is the only like surefire. this guy is a starting pitcher from the guys that we acquired at the deadline. Okay. And I that might be a little sad for the rest of the acquisitions maybe, but it's also a positive for Caleb Killian. I, th- I mean he's 24 years old. He's in again the, the year off that makes a difference he's 24 years old in double a he um has a really a double a he's been just using a four seam two seam cutter uh offerings he, he'll, really? he'll he'll flip over a, a curveball every once in a while and i think the curveball is pretty good but to hmm. generate a lot of whiffs he's using his cutter and it's kind of like uh
0: lance lynn he just gets by with like
1: fastball iterations exactly and he's using hmm. all three of those pitches the four seam and he's using the two seam for a lot of like to induce some weak contact, the cutter for a lot of whiffs, and then the four-seam up, four up in the zone. And so I've it. liked the, how he's used those three offerings from what I've seen so far. Um, he he does have that long arm path in, in his delivery, which the Cubs have kind of liked. I know a lot of teams have gone to like the short like, throw throwing from your ear like the Giolito. Yeah, exactly. exactly, yep. Um, but the Cubs with J- Ryan Jensen, and we see it with uh, Alexander Vizcaino, and we see it with Caleb Killian, It's a little bit longer of an arm path than what we're used to seeing, I guess, be, being developed. Caleb Killian, I think, is a like a four to se- in the four to seven range of my like top twenty arms in the system. <laughs> really, dude. I I so- dig this dude.
0: So we're talking about cutters, two seamers, and four seamers. Secondary pitches. When Hendricks was coming up through the system, and we're seeing the only reason I bring up Hendricks was just because he too came through the system, not on a lot of prospect leaderboards, but still had like really respectable numbers, and then we all know how that ended up. Uh, but when he was coming through the system, and this is way back then, this is early 2010s, I think the website was like minor league cube, no minor league central, I believe is what it was. But they were they would track contact rates. So I was obsessed with this. And I remember Hendricks, he was coming up through the system and he always had a contact rate, a whiff rate, that was better than like his league's average. And we always heard about the change up, change up, change up. And so I like I was thinking maybe that can translate to the bigs and sure enough, it did, but it's never it's never like that. Is there a secondary pitch? Uh, that for Killian, you can see he starts to develop? Or does he even need it? If he's going to go through and only walk like under two guys per game, can he get through a major league lineup with just Cotter's two seamers and four seams? I,
1: he does have that curveball. And I, I do think he can use the curveball more. I think it's a pretty good pitch. Now, will the Cubs try to rework that as a spike a spike curve grip? Because like that's what we've seen throughout the entire farm system is the Cubs utilizing that spike grip. Um, and mm-hmm. it's it's had a lot of success. I, I don't I can't get a really good feel on that curveball to be completely honest with you. Um, I know yeah. that being able to to do what he's doing dominate do what he's doing in Double A with mainly a four seam two seam cutter is kind of wild, you know. And not only with those pitches, but like he's holding that four seam fastball. I mean, he's mid nineties with that four seam fastball. He, he's he's okay, touching up to ninety seven with that. So really? And he's holding that velocity deep into his starts too. So I've I've got like a, I always, I always am hesitant on ETAs on some guys, especially guys that I've, I spent, I mean, in depth weekend doing it, but I I mean, more or less a few days just digging deep into these guys. But I I think he could help in the big league squad like next year, like maybe like late next year. I mean, he's already in double A. So like, that's, that's kind of expected, but like I think Mm -hmm. late next year, potentially in Chicago. So do you think he just finishes the year up in double A? I'd say so, probably. I, I okay. think that I think that if if we saw him in Triple A, it kind of surprised me a little bit. I mean, because we're we're already not much uh, season left to go in the minor league season, so I I'd say he probably yeah. finishes the year in Double A. Like again. we have
0: what like three more weeks left or something like that.
1: Yeah, we go through actually go through. They they just added an extra week, uh, two weeks of the season in the Triple A level. So they go through. Oh, nice. I believe it's September nineteenth now. So uh, the first week of September is typically when it finishes up.
0: Got it. Okay. So Killian, look out for Killian. I think you're right. I mean, he's in double A. Um, you know way more about this guy than I've dug into. But when you see numbers like that in double A, that signals to me, at least as an outsider looking in, that he's he's close. You're like you're knocking on the door when you have success in double A. And with numbers like that, especially command, I like personally, I, I, I like that. I want projectability, and I think right now Killian he has that. So you have to be excited about it. So moving on, we have Alexander Canario. Uh, again, 21 years old, able, a lot of homers, a lot of strikeouts, a lot of walks, kind of like at the current moment, maybe your three true outcomes type guy. Uh,
1: what are we looking at there? With Alexander Canario, I mean, well, I, I feel like huh, I've just been hyping these guys up. And, and I, I believe in the things that I'm saying, but also not all these guys are going to hit. Not Not all what 10 prospects acquired are going to be um what? starters I thought the all work I I, all work I don't tell me that <laughs> I, I I hate that I waited about a half an hour into this episode before I, <laughs> I said that but you're, you're looking at the positives from these guys especially in, in, a, in, a, in a state where we are all very upset about the trades that happened in Chicago you know what I mean so like it, it's it's you're pointing out the positive these guys have not, and I'm willing to point out the negatives on these guys too but um you're also shooting for the ceilings on these guys, and 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 hoping that they hit their ceilings, understanding that the floor is much more likely on some of these prospects. But but with Canario, uh, I I view him a lot. Like this is not a knock on Nelson Velasquez, but I view him as just like a, a better version of what we have in Nelson Velasquez in the system. He's he's a guy that can play center field now. Um, as he fills out a little bit more, he play he has more of a right field profile, but. I just think he's a really good athlete. The swing is pretty, man. Like I, I think, I think he immediately shoots up to like the Cole rotorer level of just like the most beautiful oh, swing man. in the system. Which dude, his
0: swing is oh, next level. Cole yeah, oh it's, I mean, it's, my God. The, the fact that we although don't Owen
1: see more is, is is devastating.
0: Although Owen Casey,
1: man, his swing too is like, uh You it, know, it he, is. Might, he
0: might compete with uh, Rotorer there.
1: Yeah, but uh, from the right side, Canario is, has a pretty pretty swing. You're right; he is striking out quite a bit, but. From what I've heard from other people that, that watched a lot of, of San Francisco Giants prospects uh, this year, it's more about pitch recognition with Alexander Canario and less about mm. he's not swinging through strikes, swinging through I fastballs. It. It's more pitch recognition out of the zone. So okay. uh, that actually makes me feel a little bit better because that's something that can be— I mean, pitches in the zone can be, can be fixed too, but I think that, that getting more ABs, getting more plate appearances, and improving that eye— can can really take this guy to the next level because he does have the pop. He has some speed right now. Uh, I, I think he has like 16 or 17 stolen bases so far this year, which is kind of kind of crazy. Um, I I'd rank him him up towards the, the higher levels of my prospect list too. I think that w- what we started off with these four, first four guys are four of my favorites. So I'm glad that we let off with with these guys for sure.
0: Awesome. Okay, so that's exciting to hear. Uh, hobby Baez, the Trevor Williams deal packaged together. They get back what seems to be from reading Twitter and opinions, uh, a guy that is really well liked, not without some criticisms, um, but unanimously seems to be like a high floor guy and maybe uh, a higher ceiling as he continues to age. He's a young guy. His name is Pete Crow Armstrong. He's 19 years old. Some considered him the best overall like talent in the Mets system, but I don't know the system whatsoever. I'm just reading what I see. <laughs> and he hurt his shoulder this year, so he has almost no professional experience so far. He had about 30 plate appearances in A-ball with the Mets. In the 30 plate appearances, he was hitting almost 500, uh, but who, who kind of cares about that? But looking at him, he's a lefty, nice swing, good uh, good mechanics. I don't want to compare him to Albert Almora, but oh, you're no. not doing it. I did it. I did it. I messed <laughs> up. I did it. But um, the only reason I say that is because you hear similar things that you heard about Al, and you heard that he's going to be kind of a stable, defensive guy, You know, good bat-to-ball skills, and Al ultimately did not turn into that. So that was not who Almora was. If Crow Armstrong ends up being like that, then that, that's a plus. Like you want guys like that on your team. So what are you seeing with Pete Crow Armstrong? Do you agree with some of these scouts and some of the national scouting reports that he might be the most talented guy in the Mets system? And where do you see him fit in with his cup system right now?
1: I was going to lead off my little like, spe- like spiel on PCA yeah. saying stop with Albert Amora comps, but here, sorry. here we go. No, I'm I
0: added to, <laughs> I'm like, I regret doing I, I regret doing it.
1: No, it's one of those things where I get it, right? Like, Albert Amora was a, a really high contact rate guy. That That's what we're getting with with PCA here. And he's also a great defender, like Albert Almora was. The difference is that from everything we've we've been told, I mean, obviously, like you said, we haven't seen hardly any action of him as a professional. He came straight out of high school, and then he got injured out for the year with torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder, for what it's worth. And with a guy like PCA, everything we've been told is that he has a really good plate approach, too. He can draw his fair share of walks, which is not something that Albert Amora ever did, right? Albert Amora Never. walked at like Javi Baez rates without ever hitting for power. <laughs> yeah. So that I mean like take that for for what you will. I, it's it's one of those things where if you're hitting for contact and drawing walks, that's a leadoff guy. If you're hitting for contact and not drawing walks, you're Albert Amora. So uh, it's it's <laughs> uh, I, I didn't I, I didn't mean to come on this podcast and just just rail in, uh, into into Albert Amora, but here I am. So uh, the, the good part is, especially with PCA, is the defense is like major league ready right now in center field. Like he's a really, really good defensive center field. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he's, he's got some speed, not like outrageous speed, but he's got some speed more than what Al, Al, Al Mora had, um, and he plays really good defensive center field. So uh, we'll see about the arm, not sure about that quite yet, but the fact that he has, is a high contact rate guy, and that's, a, that's something that we, I think that the front office, I think Jed Hoyer tried to um, acquire between PCA and Nick Madrigal. And there was a couple of guys that he was like, oh, let's get some contact guys, because I've been hearing from the fans for the past five years that, that we don't hit for any contact and we strike out too much. Well, those two guys are going to not strike out like hardly at all.
0: Hmm.
1: So, I mean, I'm looking at him
0: right now. Fangraphs has him ranked number seven on the Cubs top 10 list with, I don't want to do this because ETAs at this point are ridiculous, but a 2025 timeline. Yeah. And just to give more context, we have like Miguel Amaya at number eight, Braylon Marquez at number six. And Braylon and Miguel Amaya going into the year were like top three prospects by a lot of leaderboards. Yeah. And so it kind of speaks to the volume of talent that this cup system got. And you're right. You see across the board that it appears as if Jed is going for more of the higher contact guys with Nick Madrigal. You're going to have Nico Horner get more reps, hopefully coming back soon at shortstop. And you can imagine a not-so-distant future where up the middle, you have three guys who are making 95th percentile contact in this league with PCA, Madrigal, and Nico Horner. And in recent memory, I don't remember any team having that. So that that that's interesting, but
1: that's also a concern of mine, though, too, right? Like that's that. I just I don't know the direction in which baseball is going. You know what I mean? We're like, is is having three guys that are ninety fifth percentile in in making contact a good thing? Like I I don't don't know, and and, because we've gone so far of the three true outcomes that it's become normal to me, right? So I look at a guy Mm -hmm. like Pete Crow Armstrong, and I am more concerned about that. About his ability to maybe hit for some more power, or uh, uh, just like not be just a straight contact guy. And I'm worried about more worried about him than I am a guy like Alexander Canario that is striking out a whole lot. But I really like the power potential, and yeah. it's just become normalized. I I feel like this new style of baseball. So I know. Well, it's, it's, it's difficult.
0: It is hard to judge, and I feel the sport changed so much since you know 2015, and I feel as if. We've had conversations on this podcast with Corey about it, but I feel as if Theo, Jed and that front office, when they came over in the early 2010s, they they built that team for a different era of baseball. And what happened was launching all became more prominent. The fastball usage up in the zone spiked, the sinker usage dropped a lot. And for the Cubs guys that were drafted, ultimately they had difficulty adjusting in a timely fashion. Ultimately, a lot of them did adjust, right? Like, Schwarber's adjusted well this year he's been hitting five high fastballs but it took him six plus years to to do that so I do wonder if in some way and we're never going to know but in some way is there some type of confident anticipation that the pendulum's going to switch in the opposite direction I I I don't know the answer to that I I do know that a lot of my disappointment has been directed at just at the Cubs inability to kind of keep up With the league. And most most of that is directed at the pitching development, right? When when the Cubs are drafting mostly college guys throughout the years, where teams like the Dodgers and the Rays are drafting these really high-velo guys. And at the time, volatile pitchers who ended up being valuable commodities for for their team so maybe who knows right like maybe the pendulum does switch a little bit but even if it doesn't right even if it doesn't having talented guys in your system that may not fit the profile of your team that has value in and of itself in trade value for example and trying to get maybe some more powerful bets but i mean like greg in in a system right now you still have brennan davis you still have a contra you have presciato who has i I believe plus power potential Mm -hmm. um You have Christian Hernandez and those guys are leading your top four guys. There's power potential right there. And the hope is that those are ultimately the players who supplement the the contact guys you have in the form of in the form of power. Um so it's just, it's, it's 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 gonna be interesting, but I do want to move on. We talked about it to the correct Cambrill trade with Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer. So they got back, I, I think it's Hoyer, by the way. I wanna say it's Hewer, and someone's gonna correct me, which I please do, please, please correct me. Uh saying Hoyer is kind of jading me right now, to be quite honest <laughs> with you. Um so I hope it's not Hoyer, I hope it is Huwer. So please be Hewer. Anyway, so we have Nick Madrigal, we have Cody Hewer. I'm gonna say Hewer just because I want to say
1: Hewor. Do it, do it.
0: Good. So <laughs> Nick Madrigal, heavy contact guy. We're not we're not talking ninety-fifth percentile, we're talking about ninety-nine percent. We're talking about the best in the league. And I know you're a prospect guy, but you're also you know crazy Psycho Cups fan like us. Right now it's hard to see Exactly, precisely, where they fit in Madrigal and Nico. I think the obvious uh, starting point is shortstop and second base, right? Um, there is some debate whether Nico can handle shortstop in like an average to above average fashion. There's some concerns about his arm. That's, that was confusing for me. I, I feel as if I've seen moments with Nico's arm that looks pretty good and like surprising, surprisingly good. And so, as you were talking about, the concern is there with Nico and Matrigal that there's too much contact and maybe the defense is not like the same caliber as we've been used to seeing from our middle infield. And similar to Nico, I feel as if the concerns for defense for Matrigal is also there. Like, Fangrass rates his defense on a 60 out of 80 scale which by scouting standards, that's one standard deviation above the rest of his peers or like 65% better than typically what you see from uh, the, the the league. So what do we think about his defense? Second base seems to be his primary option, but in terms of fitting in his profile with Nico, I kind of want to hear your thoughts about just the contact, the defensive, uh, not issues, but fitting in all of these New types of traits that we're not custom to seeing from this team.
1: I I think that I understand the concern from people about um, Nico potentially shifting over to shortstop. Do you I, share those concerns? I, it's hard. It's you, hard. Don't, you, you, seen enough? You, you know, you know what's hard about it is that we're coming off of Javier Baez playing shortstop for the Chicago Cubs <laughs> with you know, that arm. And and yeah. he and he is I mean he is literally for outs above average the best shortstop in all of baseball. So, yeah. to, Nico Horner could be a, an above, a well above average shortstop and still not be anywhere near as good as, as Javi Baez. So, that's mm-hmm. so hard for me. It, it, it kind of clouds my mind a little bit. I think that, that Nico could be at least a, an average shortstop, shortstop, maybe an above average shortstop, but that value is not as, as great as, as it is if he's playing second base at a super, at a gold glove level, level caliber. Um, I think that I think Nico might be a guy that, that we've seen that roams around the field, and I, I, I would like that. I know that people are, are, are hes- hesitant about that because he plays gold-glove gold caliber uh, second base, but now that we have Nick Madrigal, who I, I, don't, I, don't, I won't even pretend to admit to know Nick Madrigal's defense day in and day out. But I think that, that Nico brings value by playing multiple different positions, and I think now he's able to do that um in and, and center field and left field at and, and shortstop and second base and still play every single day. That does not mean that he's not playing every day because I think he will play every day in the future, obviously. But he can play every day in different positions. We saw from Chris Bryant all year this year. <laughs> yeah,
0: so one of the thoughts is center field for Nico. Uh, we've barely seen him there, but I, I was thinking that too. I look at some of the potential... Free agent guys and the Cubs do want to go and offer a shortstop of free agency like the Carlos Correa route or the Trevor Story route or even bringing back Javi or some of the other potential lower mid tier guys. Like, I'm curious if Nico is capable at center field. And the guy's an athlete and you know mm-hmm. he's a hard worker, number one, right? But in your opinion, is Nico in like center field legitimately an option? And I'm not just talking about an option where he survived. Can we, I'm talking about like Average to plus
1: defense. Yeah, out there.
0: is I, that is that is that possible with him?
1: I, I don't know because I feel like with, with Nico, you've got a guy that, like you said, is a, is a really good athlete. He has plus speed. Uh, the the speed is there, so he can cover the ground, and, and the arm is decent enough for center field, obviously. So yeah. it's just a matter of the the routes that he can take, and that's going to come with more experience and the jumps he can get on the ball. I mean, you guys, you guys, you and Corey have talked on this podcast plenty of times about the the Ian Haps defense out in center field right? And how we've been kind of waiting on him to learn the position of center field and waiting on him to improve his routes, waiting on him to improve his jumps. And now like we're sitting here four years later, however many years years later, and we're still saying the same things, right? So it's just a matter of, of finding out what you have in Nico in center field in terms of, and he needs to just get work uh, to, to figure out what those jumps are like and what those routes are like. And we just don't have enough experience in seeing him out there to know one way or the other, right? Like, I can't imagine it'd be worse, worse, significantly better or significantly worse than seeing Ian Hap, Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the thinking process and I feel, and the numbers do back it up. Uh, it seems as if as Hap has aged, his sprint speed has gone down uh, by about almost one mile per hour. And he's, he's not like, I don't want to say old because he's younger than me. If I say that, I make myself look bad, <laughs> but you know, he's, he's getting older and, At this point, I think a lot of fans are just kind of over the idea of Ian Happ in center. And I I think, too, seeing Jake Marisnyk out there in center this year kind of shifted some fans thinking about the, the value of defense. I know I enjoyed watching Jake Marisnyk out there in center field. So I kind of want a stable defensive plug up the middle, and I'm not entirely sure what that looks like. But from years past, man, it's just like having the reliance of a quality defensive middle infielder was was huge for me. And so I'm, I'm hoping, and I, and I think it's possible, and only time will tell, but I think it's possible. We see that from Nico and Madrigal, but I want that like surefire certainty. And so the fact that there's differential opinions on those two guys kind of gives me some pause for a second, but... Mm-hmm. I still I still think it's possible. I think the one thing with Nico, like I think the footwork is there, you know, Washington plays second base and the jumps he gets like the footwork is phenomenal. The 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 concern for me, and I can't this is the problem I cannot tell. But it seems as if his arm has gotten stronger since he debuted in 2019. But and I say that on, on throws like up the middle or kind of like deep in right field, I'm like, huh, like you know, that arm looks as if it could play well as shortstop, but then again, we just we don't we we don't know yet.
1: That's that's the problem. Are you just tricked by the fact that he looks like a shortstop?
0: He, you know, he wears number two. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a shortstop number and he just looks like a shortstop. Like uh, you, you you, go design a player in MLB The Show and Nico Horner's face comes up.
1: Especially when the when the flow is coming out of the back of the hat.
0: I mean, my God, dude, my God. And, and the high socks to go with it recently. <laughs> I hope he's a shortstop. All right. Um, the Nico Horner podcast. Another hour of talking about <laughs> this. But let's move on. So Jake Marisnick. I loved the defensive value in center field. He's traded, San Diego. He gets back Anderson Espinosa. I was very surprised that we got back something of this value for Jake Marisnyk. And the Padres are probably thinking, hey, we need some type of consistent defensive value in center field. Let's give up something that we don't really need right now. And that's Anderson Espinosa. So Espinosa, he seems to be a, a, a good strikeout pitcher in high able. A, a strikeout per nine of almost 12 he does walk more guys than like your average but it's not outrageous it's a four based on balls per nine rate and his era is around five again not the best but apparently uh, fangraphs the scouting ratings on his on his pitches all of them his fastball curve and changeup, they rank 55 or above on the 80 skill. so that that is a ranking above average. So I'm surprised the Cubs were able to get back of something that's even mildly interesting for Mirisnik. And at least in his current performance, Espinosa's striking out guys, correct
1: Yeah, and and you're right. Like you're spot on that like I, I love Jake Mirisnik too when he was with the Cubs, but to get back <laughs> to get back this value kind of surprised yeah. me. I mean this is like a this is like a Cameron Mabin type trade um like that type of deal and I think to get back to Anderson Espinoza, Espinosa has had the strangest uh path to this point right so he Mm. he as a as a teenager he's only 23 years old but as a teenager he was ranked as a number 13 prospect in all of baseball in 2016 um I did not know that that's That's crazy yeah and and (laughs) I mean it was one of those things where at the time he just threw heat it was just a fastball but he was putting up really good numbers and he was a kid right after that, after that 2016 season where he was ranked number 13, he then uh, had two Tommy John surgeries. Uh, so he missed all of 2017 and 2018. And then due to some complications, I think, where he tried to come back and then didn't, uh, he missed the 2019 season too. So he missed 2017, 2018, and 2019. Obviously, all minor leaguers missed 2020. So he has not, prior to the season, <laughs> he had not pitched for four seasons. Okay. Okay. Which is wild. That's wild. Like, That's exactly. Wild. So... He is now on the 40-man roster. He is on the 40-man. He has two options left, I, I believe. I don't. It's weird with the option years right now with the, the missed season, but I, I believe he has mm-hmm. two option seasons left. And I think at this point he's a reliever. He's, he was working as a starter. He started the game, his first appearance for the South Bend Cubs this year. I think ultimately he ends up being a reliever. But just to get that pedigree that he was previously ranked number 13 in, in all of baseball is something that you would absolutely pounce on the opportunity uh, in a trade for Jake Marisnik, even if he has yeah, dealt with no, Tommy no. Johns for for the past four seasons, you know?
0: Yeah, and speaking of value, so another surprising deal, and this was uh, one of the first ones before all of our hearts were broken, so I it seems like this deal was made three years ago, but the Andrew Chafin deal, they get back Greg Dykeman and Daniel Palencia. The hallmark or the, the core of that deal is that Greg Dykeman acquisition. He's a 26-year-old guy who's in AAA and doing pretty well. So he had a weighted on base average of nearly 400 prior to coming over to the Cubs. And at the current moment, you know, his walk rate is in like double digits, almost 20%, and his uh his his issue in the past was striking out, but in this year he's able to cut down that previous 30% strikeout rate down to about 23% this year. Now, granted, the power used to be one of his uh, hallmark traits, but this year, in uh, just under 300 plate appearances, he only has four home runs, but that seems to be a result of making more contact and the ability to adjust and the ability to still, in the process, process have value offensively. A lot of people have questioned his ability to hit against lefties, but I'm looking at this guy as an immediate valuable outfielder that can slot into this team and at least make things interesting we're asking the question huh like how do we get these guys playing time and Dykeman goes in that roster right away unless I'm missing it he may have been called up he was scratched tonight in triple A. Maybe we'll see him in the next day or a week or so. But this is this appears to be one outfielder that we're gonna
1: see at some point before the season ends. If Greg dykeman ended up being Robbie Grossman, would that you'd be happy about Oh
0: right? yeah man are you kidding me for like no offense to Chief. I love the guy but he's like a middle reliever dude. Yeah. Like to get back this value is insane in my opinion.
1: And and I, I think that I, I've I've seen that comp on on Twitter. I, I wish I could say who I, 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 I love saw that, that from. But it, it's I think that he's. I mean, Robbie Grossman went out and got a significant paycheck uh, this past <laughs> yeah. offseason. So like, I, I don't. I, think, I
0: wanted him. I wanted him for the Cubs. Exactly, uh, Grossman. Yeah.
1: So I, I think if if Dykeman can end up being that, like that's that's probably best case scenario. A guy that 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 hits righties very well. He. I mean, at least he's a, he's a strong side of a platoon, right? Where he hits lefty. Yeah. Um, if he can hit righty pitchers well and continue to walk like this, that has value in itself. He he has like a right field uh, profile. He has a decent amount of speed. He's he's stole 19 bases in 2019. Um, And and what you're waiting on is that power. You mentioned like, I feel like everything I've seen is, oh, he's got the power potential, power potential, power potential, but it's not showing up in games. And I think the deal with that is you're looking at a guy that probably needs some type of swing change because he's a big dude. Like he's a pretty good sized guy. I think he needs some sort of swing change in order to tap into that power potential. Mm. But like you said, the walks are great to see, um, and the, the the fact that he hits righties pretty well is also great to see. You're dreaming on like a Robbie Grossman scenario with. Yeah, I mean, him. I would I would love that. I would absolutely yeah. love that.
0: Uh, before I, and I do want to touch on a few of the current Cubs guys that we have. You know, before these trades happen so we're running out of time here but just quick thoughts on Daniel Palencia who was also acquired in that
1: deal. Yeah, I'll toss da- Daniel Palencia and then I'll also throw ba- Bailey Horn who was uh, okay. acquired in the to Para deal. Both these yeah, guys yeah. I-, I kind of view as as relievers long term. I think that okay. uh with their Bailey Horn is 6 foot 2, he's pretty built out already. Daniel Palencia, uh, commonly confused with with Danny Valencia, right, is uh, I know. is 5 foot 11, he's a smaller guy. Uh both have fastballs that that sit mid 90s and with bailey horn you've got a pretty decent slider i just think that the long term they're they're more relievers and i I kind of have them probably outside of my like top 20 arms in the system at this point
0: okay so this 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 is on the the front of my brain right now Braylon marquez i was hoping and this this guy has been hit by injuries you know maybe illnesses this year Still, it's like, oh, I I wish we saw more Braylon this year, and I wish we knew what to expect for 2022. What's going on with him?
1: I think with Braylon that you're hoping that he can make it back for some Arizona Fall League baseball. I think that's, I I don't have any background knowledge on where he stands as far as his comeback to pitching this season on off the mound. Uh, But I will say that that getting him in the Arizona Fall League potentially would be huge, and like getting some of those innings back. I, I viewed Braylon coming into this year, even as I I was a little more hesitant on throwing the number role. one starting role or like number two, or even like starting role in general on him. I, <laughs> okay. I just kind of, I viewed him as a, a really good reliever and a multi-inning reliever, but I viewed him more as that. And that's why I was always hesitant to throw him into that like super, super top tier discussion with Brennan Davis. To me, it's always been Brennan Davis is number one, not Marquez. However, I can understand where the excitement comes with Marquez. He throw he's a lefty, that comes at a funky angle that throws 100 miles an hour. Like, (laughs) those don't just grow on trees. So I get it. I get the excitement. But I think coming into this year, I was worried about the reliever potential, and I think still that is now even kind of more so on my mind. Yeah,
0: and... There's so many other prospects we got to talk about here, so we'll we'll hopefully get you back on here yeah, know, in the next sure. couple months here. Um, Ed Howard, numbers, and I, I DM'd you this because I'm the psycho and I see these numbers and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Ed Howard is uh, batting 199, uh, not good. Strikeout rate, 32%, not good. Two home runs and 194 plate appearances. He is only 19 years old, so that's a preface right there. Uh, concerns with the numbers not being, like,
1: Good, I guess. No concerns for sure. I I, like that. I think that coming I mean, coming into this year, Ed Howard is a teenager playing in full season ball that hadn't played like real like a real significant amount of games since his junior year of high school in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like this this is a guy that like he was going to have some rough growing pains coming into full season ball. So the fact that he's not putting up great numbers. Is uh, not alarming to me at all. I think that with with him, you just look at the way he plays the game, and I, I feel like whenever I throw this on Ed Howard, I feel like you know in in the movie Moneyball when they're like sitting around like the table trying to like identify like what is a good player by scout like the scouts are. And they're yeah, like, that's oh, one of the best scenes. He, yeah. he just he, he looks like a ball ball player. Like I that's how <laughs> I feel like when I describe Ed Howard because he just looks like a ball player. You know, he looks like he he, he does, can yeah. he can uh, he can go defensively I've liked how he's looked so if you're looking at the offensive numbers just know that defensively at shortstop he's been really good he impresses me out there he's smooth uh, his name is silk for a reason and I'm just I'm not concerned about the, the hitting numbers right now I, we're gonna see he he has looked more comfortable at the plate as the season's worn on the, the numbers may not be good, 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 totally good. indicative of that but he he looks better in my opinion
0: that's what i want to hear i want to hear uh no concerns i, I those are my two favorite words in the <laughs> english language no concerns uh okay uh joden wogu killing it uh he's made some changes that uh i guess a lot of people have talked about visually when i look at him he's developed this like toe tap thing and it looks like his overall balance is better greg his swing is so quick man like he's just got, got an electric Very fast swing. He has eight homers in 221 plate appearances. We had some people tweet at me about Jordan Wogu and getting your thoughts on him. What are we looking at here?
1: My opinion of Jordan Wogu is the exact same that it is that it was when I started off this season because I, I just I didn't buy too much into the the really rough start. And and granted, it was a rough, rough start to the beginning of the season for Jordan Wogu. But he was also striking out at absurd rate. He was also going through a lot of changes in his mechanics, right? I mean, you just, yeah, you he, just looks, he looks he looks
0: so different, so, so different. different.
1: The 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 swing looks so much smoother now. And yeah. I mean, from where we saw him at Michigan, it's just night and day. The swing path, the the load, the mechanics behind his swing are just night and day. Right now, he is looking. He's got a 105 OPS plus at the low A level, which. I mean, if you would have told me that he'd be an above-league average, above average OPS um, like two months ago, I would have laughed at you because he was having a really rough go at it. And, and, and to see him doing these things is really impressive. And I'll throw in, in addition to all that, is that he's been playing a lot of center field. He's been playing, and, and coming out of the draft, there were a lot of concerns about Jordan Wogu's ability to play the outfield at all and kind of destined mm-hmm. for, for DH. And I just kind of thought that was the case because of his routes to the ball in the outfield. And I just didn't have enough I I wasn't watching his routes in the outfield at Michigan, you know what I mean? So right. um but he, he's looked pretty decent out there in center field and in and, and left field when he's played out there. He's he's a super freak athlete, right? And he's got the speed, so I don't see why he couldn't be a, a pretty good defender out there. Um I, I'm I'm really impressed with Jordan Bogu. I I know he had a really rough start, but like I said, I view him in the exact same light as I did to begin this twenty twenty one campaign.
0: So there's so much more to talk about, which is a good segue to your own podcast, the Growing Cubs podcast. If you guys are not subscribed, you suck. You have to get on your phone right now and go subscribe to Greg's podcast, the Growing Cubs podcast. We did not talk today in detail about Christian Hernandez, even Reggie Preciado, did not talk in detail about James Triantos, did not talk in detail about Bro Carraway, Cole Franklin, Ismael Mena, like you guys, Owen Casey, Brennan Davis. You want to hear about those guys who are in the top of the Cubs leaderboard? You got to go subscribe to that podcast. So Greg, we're gonna have you back on here um, at some point to talk about you know a lot of these other guys. But any other outlets you want to plug before we sign off here?
1: No, man, I just appreciate you having me on. And and I might sni- oh, awesome. I might snip that uh, little segment from you to use as, as free <laughs> advertising. I'll take that. Yeah. Go for it. I, Go uh, for it. No, I, it's it's great. I'm I'm glad that that people are are drawing interest in the minor league system. I mean, I, I know that it's by default because there's not a whole lot to get uh, excited about at the major league level, but. Uh, my co-host Jimmy Nelligan and I, I mean, we've been going going into detail about a lot of these prospects for the past. I mean, we're going on, this is our third season now of doing this podcast. So our first full season, but our third season of doing it. So uh, we just really, this is what we dig. Like, we, we really like uh, covering prospects and and looking into the future for uh, the Cubs team. And so uh, I really appreciate everybody out there listening. And we, we're we seeing more listeners, which is always great to see. But also, I guess you guys can can find my work Uh, writing over at Cubs Insider Uh, had a piece come out recently about Alfonso Rivas and who could potentially be kind of the 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 next answer at first base if Anthony Rizzo does not sign back with the Cubs but I won't speak Mm. that into existence and uh, not say that yeah but but Alfonso Rivas has looked terrific at AAA so I I wrote about him a little bit Uh, like I said something about Justin Steele coming up fairly soon here and uh, yeah so writing at Cubs Insider uh, podcasting at Growing Cubs Podcast and uh, I appreciate it Brendan.
0: Yep, always a pleasure having you on. And then Corey and I will be back at it Sunday evening after the Cubs finish off a three-game set against the White Sox. As always, thank you so much for listening, and go Cubs!